Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 293 is with Sarah and Beth from the podcast Unrestorable. Wow, I'd, I'd like to be inside your imaginations when you're putting this podcast together because you have a way of sharing a story that when, when I'm driving and I'm listening... I'm in your world. I, I, I really have to pay attention to the lights and things, but I'm in your world and how you've developed that relationship with listening. I, I, I want to know how. Sarah's a real storyteller here. I have my experiences in sort of uh, uh, telling, conveying to an audience uh, audio wise and in person, right? I mean, I'm, I'm an on-air person. Sarah is a real storyteller and I give her all the credit here. Well, I'm not willing to take all the credit, but I will say, you know, how we how we did it is we spent more than a year and a half in this world. I mean, I think um, Beth and I uh, first entered this story uh, in January 2022 and the last episode airs today, uh, number eight. And so I think we uh, we worked very hard to create you know, very close relationships with sources. We spent a huge amount of time just immersed in the ideas associated with this podcast and with the facts of the case. And, you know, I think it, it in, at times it's sort of overwhelming in its tragedy, um, but it never stopped being fascinating to us. You keep reminding listeners, and this is this is so positive about the way that you, you have developed a story. You remind us of what's going on. You set us back up as to, OK, you're listening to the story. We're listening to Troy speak. But here's the reason why we're talking about this. And I love the way that you kind of remind us of why we're in the in this moment with you. That's really important, right? Especially when people are listening to this a week apart. They need yeah. to be reminded too, but they need context. And you know, I used to be a trial attorney, and you, and also then I was at Court TV, and I'm constantly explaining processes and stories to people and weaving things together and, and telling them why it's relevant. And of course, when you're telling a story and it's audio only and nobody's looking at pictures, you have to keep doing this and reminding them. Yeah. 2014, Troy enters a world that no person really wants to be a part of, but now he's got to deal with it. When you sat down with him, I can't imagine, how did he keep his emotions together and so peacefully? Because I, I really did listen to his voice very clearly. So, I mean, I think um, I have two things to say about that. One, uh, he has become, you know, he is t- he's he's both a grieving father and he's also an advocate Mm -hmm. and um he is very very determined when it comes to his children and um any form of advocacy associated with that so he has learned to essentially professionalize his grief um which a lot of victims or families of victims have to do if they want to enact any kind of change um The other thing I would say is he doesn't always keep his emotion under control. You know, I think it's I think it's if you listen to the podcast all the way to the end, you do hear moments where he is heartbroken and frustrated and um, you really, really feel the impossibility of his situation. Um, But, you know, he has he has been forced to. essentially perform over the last nine years because, you know, while he's had assistance and obviously this case has been working its way through the criminal justice system, he is the primary advocate for his children. 
And so you kind of have to learn to get good at that fast. Wow. And and the way that you carry us forward, because I mean, when, when that I can physically hear a clock ticking that it's like, oh, my God, the, the, we're running out of time that 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 uh, Catherine could actually be free here. What is going on here? And and so the way that you, you built up the storyline and making sure that we stay to it, it's like it's like I want to figure it out before you guys figure it out. But you put the year and a half of your life into it. But and then we, we get the eight episodes. So how do, how do you feel about that, that we're done in eight episodes? episodes where you've had to live it. Well, you know, and we are still, you know, living it, you know, you don't ever put it away. Um, It was a challenge, first of all, living it for a year and a half and then condensing it to 30 minute episodes, you know, was a challenge because there we couldn't tell everything we know, we couldn't use everyone we talked to. Um, and uh, we also ha- had to, you know, draw you, the listener, in and and uh, make you want to uh, listen to the next episode and just st- stay engaged. Uh, but it is something that I think I, I, I probably speak for both of us when I say that we this story will always stay with us and uh, um, and and what we learned from it. We don't have answers, but we just wanted to explore and sh- shine a light on the intersection of mental illness. Yep and the criminal justice system. Do you think one of the reasons why we are into this story so much is because every community has something like this going on where you know a crime has been committed, but because of laws and because of things that are happening inside those courtrooms, it doesn't go to court. And it's it's, it's like, because I mean, I, I'm here in the Carolinas. We're always hearing stories like this. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think these stories are relatable. And for that reason, but also I think because, you know, mental illness is an epidemic. Um, And I think a lot of people have family members who they feel is on a precipice. And I think, you know, sometimes you can't get the help you need. Sometimes you cannot see that that person is becoming harmful um, to themselves or others. So I think that there are a lot of touch points for this story. I think that there are a lot of people who are let down by systems. And that includes individuals with mental illness, the families of those individuals with mental illness, victims in the context of the criminal justice system. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of these things don't work as well for people as they can or should. And um, that, that you know, is part of what we wanted to look at. Yeah, because you paint the picture. I mean, because before, I mean, we can we can read it in a newspaper or watch it on television, but there really is a valley between criminal justice versus the mental health system. They're not as close as what some people might think it is. You know, our prisons are full of mentally ill people. And it's probably fair to say that, you know, most violent crimes, at least, are are committed by people who are not well, maybe just not not well in the moment. They may be suffering a depression or they just snap in some way. Um, But mental illness is, you know, it is an epidemic, as Sarah says, but our prisons are are just, you know, full of very sick people. And like, what do you do? I used when I was a prosecutor in New York City, I I used to look out on the sea of faces and I would feel so bad. And I'd say, you know, I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychologist. I can't solve the problems these these people have. I just my job is to protect, protect society and keep society safe, New York City safe, you know, by punishing these people who are out there committing crimes but some you know you wonder did they all deserve the punishment they got you know should they have received some some treatment i I don't i don't know what the answers are and we're constantly working toward making it better there are now mental health courts here in new york i just learned we we have them now they didn't have them when i was a prosecutor in manhattan but they have them in um in maryland uh where this uh story takes place um so you know 
the system's trying to grapple with it constantly, but we're always sort of behind the eight ball, it seems. Yeah. In in the everyday world, people are always asking me, so what podcast you're listening to? What podcast? And so I said Unrestorable. And, and they're going, well, how do you best describe it? And and so bad, I, I want to say, well, it's a mystery. But not only is it a mystery, but it's a whodunit. Whodunit in the way of did she, why did she? And and, and they look at me and it's like, how, so how do you best describe when people say, so you've got a podcast. What is it about? <laughs> um, you know, it's such a complex story. Right? And, you know, <laughs> we've been doing this for a year and a half. I, you know, I can speak for myself when I say I'm, I'm still trying to perfect an elevator speech because I always want to tack on all these other dimensions. <laughs> in this case. Um, but, you know, I think fundamentally it's about a family in crisis. It's about a mother with a long history of mental illness. It's about a moment that no one expected, a violent moment that no one expected, and then the repercussions that have rippled across, you know, not just a family, but um, these, as we just discussed, relatable repercussions, our perceptions of competency, what it means to be held accountable, who should be made responsible for their actions, and how how we best you know, deal with mentally ill defendants, and then what do the victims and their families do when they do not feel like their needs are adequately served by the system, when they feel like a defendant is being protected. And is that because those are reasonable expectations or is it because we have a uniquely, and particularly in the United States, there's a uniquely punitive idea of justice that in order to be accountable, you must be punished. And I think all of these questions are really worth examining. You know, you talk about the unexpected. I mean, you receiving that Facebook message. I mean, I mean, now people are going to be reaching out to you left and right going, hey, I I need you to help me with my story. Well, it happens um, more often than you might think. And, um, you know, I think I think this is also a really interesting kind of meta analysis. We, We get into a little bit at the end of the podcast. But, you know, I think a lot of people, when they become desperate, they turn to the media because they feel let down by these systems. Mm -hmm. And so. They think perhaps um, they can turn to people with some sort of ability to get their story out into the public and and help them advocate for um, whatever they're they're look whatever resolution they're looking for, and so I think it happens pretty often. You know, people people often ask me where you know the things that I write about and where my stories come from, and a not disproportionate amount um, come from people individuals who are in some sort of somewhat desperate situation. Um, who need help and think maybe I can help them by and telling their story. We're, we're going through this golden age of television, but at the same time, I also believe that we're going through the silent golden age of journalism. And I wish that this world would embrace the fact that you guys are putting your lives out there and getting a story that, and it's not a, it's not a three minute story on the five o'clock news. I mean, you, you are getting the story. Well, I mean, that's, that's what we do, right? I mean, we investigate, we take a real deep dive into a story and, um, you know, are using the best way we can to communicate that story. And here we thought it was most effective in a podcast. And we're very grateful to iHeart to um, have produced this for us. Um, but that I, I'm used to that. And Sarah is too. I mean, this is what we do uh, in our separate lives as journalists is we, we go really inside a story and it's nice to have a platform and the ability to be able to really deliver it and not just do it in a three minute package. Yeah. The reason why I brought that up is because I'm a broadcast instructor and every one of these, I, I love them all. They all think they're superstars after day number one, they're ready to podcast and, and you go, okay, what do you want to do? I, I need a good investigative story. And they look at me going, 
oh, I don't have that kind of time. And and that always inspires me to, to share conversations with people like yourself because you do find the time. And the thing about it is I always want to know the afterlife of an investigation podcast like this because you, your, your information, can it be used in a court if, if there's a future case here? Well, I'm going to throw that question to Beth because I think she's best <laughs> to answer it. I do want to say, first of all, that, um, you know, a friend of mine who is executive director of the Ohio Innocence Project told me he's noticed in the last years um, a uh, a lack of investigative journalism. I'm what? sure he's not alone. I mean, he needs investigative journalists to help him get the stories out there that they don't have time to work on because they're so they're stretched so thin. This is the Ohio Innocence Project. But I'm sure that uh, other areas are, are finding this. There aren't enough people who are taking that the time to really investigate a story. And 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 you know, we are two who do that. But you're right, I'm sure. And you know, you, your students want it. You know, they're they're used to there's a Twitter, and they're used to like sort of quick stories, and you know, um, getting something out there in two minutes, and yep. and their attention span is um, is not not what ours is, for example. But whether or not our podcast can be used in a courtroom, some of the information, I think that. I mean, we talked to some of the you know nation's experts right, in in um, mental illness and forensic um, issues. Uh, so you know, I think there are there are things there that you can glean somebody could use perhaps i don't know that we would ever be be witnesses but the people we talk to mm-hmm. might be consulted in uh, future cases in the courtroom in that year and a half because you you both have evolved in, in, into basically much wiser people in the way that when you first came up with the idea of putting this podcast together i mean to just go out and get an expert to talk to you had to have been a heck of a journey but now now that you've got, got something that you can really give them to hold on to does it open up the door easier for you for, for future shows? I mean, I think the short answer is yes. The um, But I'll say, you know, we, we were very fortunate with this project. You know, this is the second uh, podcast that Beth and I have worked on together. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we're both pretty grateful that we had iHeart and Anonymous Content, our partners on this, invest sufficiently that we were really t- able to immerse ourselves in it. Um, but I think... Um, I think access is like, and then you know this, if you're teaching students, you know, access is really crucial when it comes yes. to journalism. Yep. I mean, trade, trading something for access. I mean, people who are willing to tell you their story and, um, and who are committed to, who are committed to whatever project you invite them into. And uh, we we had um, a huge amount of access in working on this podcast. We spoke to a lot of family members. We had... Um, we spoke to the state's attorney. We spoke to Catherine's attorney. We, you know, we just we spoke to some um, other experts who have touched on this case and and others who write about the phenomenon more broadly. Um, you know, and I think I think the thing is, yes, yeah, sometimes sources don't yield to you as easily as really they did in this story for us. You know, we had a lot of open doors. We I think in part because it's such a compelling case yep, yep. and. Um, but it's crucial, you know, you really need to secure as much access as possible to make a, a to convey a compelling story. Yeah. We always knew it was compelling. It was a question of how we adequately convey it to a listener. And I think, um, you know, the, all the access we had was really crucial to that. I just wanted to add that we are hearing, Sarah and I, from professionals who are thanking us yes. for doing this story. 
Wow, see, that's what it's all about. That, to me, is the new level of community when it comes to broadcasting. And I know that a lot of podcasters always come after me saying, we're not broadcasters, we're podcasters. Okay, I get it. But we're bringing a different level of success to what they used to use as just a hobby. You are not a hobby. You're sharing stories. Yeah, I think it's, and I think it's, and it's when you do any form of investigative journalism, I mean, any form of journalism, period, but investigative journalism comes with a pretty high level of responsibility. And yes. we really did the whole time that we were telling this story. We are not advocates, we're journalists. And um, we really, really tried to um, do justice to our sources, to the story itself. And again, to the very complex nested issues associated with this case. I'm so glad that you, you we, we had the opportunity to talk with, with with different subjects. And the reason why is because what I really wanted to do was come on here and ask about the final episode, number eight. And the thing, and, and but I, I'm so glad that we did not go in that direction because I need as a listener to experience it and not have it come through, you know, a conversation like this. So thank you for not taking us down number eight. I want people to experience it. Yeah, I mean, we want people to experience it too. We want them to sort of take the journey um, um, you know, when we started this podcast, we, you know, even when we started writing, we did not know how things were were going to end. Yeah. And we also were on a journey. We we joined this this um, we joined this story when um, it was unclear what was going to happen next to Catherine Hoggle to this family. Um, and so, yeah, we we hope the listeners will sort of um, be as will find it as compelling as we did as we as we watched the clock while we were researching yeah, this. Yeah, wow. You got to come back to the show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Will you be brilliant today, okay? <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks very much. Take care.